God, we know that your spirit is here and alive in our midst, and God, we pray that your spirit would move in us to open us up, to open our ears and our eyes, our hearts and our minds, that we might hear a word from you. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How do you know when you have enough? How do you know when you have enough? It's hard because what does it even mean to have enough? Does it mean that you have just the right amount for today and no more? You'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Does it mean that you use every single thing that you have? Is that what it means to have enough? Does it mean that you have an amount such that you will never, ever run out? Is that enough? What does it mean to have enough? We have trouble with this, all of us, knowing what is enough. It's the second week of our Beyond Enough series. The whole idea is that God wants to move us beyond our small ways of thinking about enough. We think in these terms, there is not enough. There's not enough time, not enough money, not enough space, not enough whatever, and there's usually an assumption built into that way of thinking. Because what we really mean is, there's not enough time to do what I want to do. There's not enough money to buy what I want to buy. There's not enough space to store all the stuff I have. I am the common denominator in trying to figure out what is enough. And sometimes our thinking gets all twisted around and we start to say things like, I am not enough. I am not good enough. I am not smart enough. I'm not successful enough. I am not enough. The reference point that we have for understanding what is enough is ourselves. But God wants to help us see beyond what we have or don't have. God wants to help us see beyond what we are or are not so that we can see who God is and what God provides. In other words, God wants, to, wants us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on God. Stop looking at ourselves and start looking at God. And what we'll discover is a whole new way of living and being and thinking in the world. The scripture that we'll read this morning talks about money and possessions, two areas of life where we have insatiable appetites. There's never enough. We always want more money. We are always happy to buy more stuff. I've shared this with you before, and I think it's just fascinating. Research shows that people across income levels, at all income levels, people believe that if they had 30% more then they'd have enough. So people who make $25,000 a year believe that if they had 30% more, that would be enough. And people who make $250,000 a year believe that if they had 30% more, that would be enough. Billionaires who could never ever spend all the money they have still want more. It's a moving target, enough. You never get to that magical place of enough money. There's something similar about possessions, about the stuff we have. Why do they keep building self-storage places all over our city? There are more than 20 self-storage places within two miles of where I'm standing right now. Why? Because we fill up our houses with stuff, and then we buy more stuff, so we've got to rent a place to put all of our extra stuff. How do you know when you have enough? 
Let's read some scripture together. This is from the book of Matthew. It's in chapter 19, if you've got your Bible with you. Uh, we're going to have the words printed on the, uh, up on the screen, and they're printed in your bulletin as well. So let's start in verse 16. Then someone came to him. This is came to Jesus. Someone came to him. And let's pause right there in the first phrase, someone. Doesn't tell us who exactly, does it? Because part of the point is that it could be anyone. It could be me, it could be you. Someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Well, we want to know the answer to this question too. What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to live a life pleasing to God? Verse 17, and Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. He's talking about God. God is the definition of good. And here's how he answers the man's question. If you wish to enter into life, keep the, keep the commandments. Isn't that funny? The man asks, what, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And Jesus says, God wants you to do what God has told you to do in the Scriptures. But the man wants a little more clarity. He wants to hear it directly from Jesus. He said to him, which ones? Which commandments are most important? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. These are right out of the Ten Commandments, the guiding principles for God's people in the Old Testament. And then Jesus adds, also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the commandment that in other places Jesus says is most important. It's a, a distillation of the Ten Commandments, something like love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That seems like a very tall task, a really high bar, but this guy, and we're about to learn that he's a young man, this guy's been doing really well. He's been doing a really good job with these commandments because listen to what he says. The young man said to Jesus, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? The young man has been living exactly how God wants him to live. He's kept all the commandments that Jesus himself says are the most important to keep. And instead of celebrating, instead of patting himself on the back, instead of being relieved, he asks, what do I still lack? He's been living just how God wants us to live, and yet he knew he knew there was something, something out of balance, something that was holding him down. So Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus gives him a clear instruction, a clear answer to his question. And verse 22, when the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In these verses, Jesus has hit on both possessions and money, those two parts of our lives where we never know what is enough. And he continues, verse 24, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, well, then who can be saved? Now, wait a minute. Jesus says it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the immediate reaction of his disciples is, well, who can be saved? As if everyone was a rich person. Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples say, well, then nobody will get in. 
But why? Not everyone's rich, right? In the ancient world, there were rich people and poor people and everywhere in between. Just like in our world, there are rich people and poor people and everywhere in between. The disciples' response, then who can be saved, makes me think that maybe, maybe there's something about money and possessions that gets in everyone's way, that can hold anyone down. And here's what Jesus says. But Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals... It is impossible, but for God, all things are possible. Take your eyes off yourselves and put them on God. Stop thinking about you. Start thinking about God. Now, a few years ago, there was this post that started to show up on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. People were posting this, sharing this announcement, supposedly from NASA. We'll put it up on the screen. Uh, so NASA, January 4th, 9.47 a.m. GMT. The long-awaited planetary alignment will cause a gravitational fluctuation that will leave you weightless for a short period of time. Hashtag be ready. The story was that some British astronomer had figured out, had predicted that on that morning, January 4th, at precisely 9.47 a.m., an extraordinary astronomical event would occur. At that exact time, Pluto would pass directly behind Jupiter, both of which would be perfectly aligned with Earth, which would mean that the gravitational pull of those two celestial bodies, Jupiter and Pluto, would counteract, would, would exert a stronger upward gravitational pull, some, somewhat momentarily uh, counteracting the Earth's own gravity and making people weigh just a little bit less. The story added that people could experience the phenomenon in a, in a deeper way by jumping in the air at precisely that moment. If they did, the astronomer promised, they would experience a strange floating sensation. So people all over the world synced their watches to Greenwich Mean Time and, and waited and, and watched for exactly 9.47 a.m. And at that precise time, they jumped into the air only to discover that nothing happened. It was a hoax because ever since Sir Isaac Newton figured out, that, figured out what made apples fall to the ground, we have known, we have known that gravity is a consistent and unfailing force in the world. It keeps things in place all the time, even right now, gravity. And there's another force that's similar, that's working all around us all of the time. One author calls it financial gravity. Just as gravity exists in the natural world, financial gravity exists in the economic world in which you and I live every day. It's simply the pull of possessions and money that's generated by our culture and economy in which we live. It's like Earth's gravity. And it's not bad in and of itself. Financial gravity is necessary for our existence. We need food, shelter, clothing, and the like, and we have to find a way to procure those things for ourselves and for the people for whom we're responsible, financial gravity. We notice financial gravity, for instance, when we open up a web page and immediately see ads for things that are in the exact style and size and color we like. I've been wanting some new shoes, and when I open up Facebook, magically, there's an advertisement for new shoes that would look great on me and fit perfectly in my closet. I've been wanting a new grill. And I open up Google and there's a magical ad for a grill that people just like me have recently purchased just down the street. That's financial gravity, pulling you toward possessions that you desire. 
things that make you feel good. Walk through the Galleria or any shopping center and, and you'll feel the pull of financial gravity. Each store is literally designed to invite you in. And once you're inside a store, it's, it, it's designed to help you walk through aisle after aisle of beautiful thing that you could imagine in your home. It's financial gravity. We feel the impact of financial gravity when we look at our bank statement. We think, oh, I've got a little bit more than I thought I had. Or we look at our credit card and we think, oh, I owe a little bit more than I thought I owed. Financial gravity, by itself, it's not bad. The key to financial gravity is to experience the force in just the right proportion. Too much and we're weighed down. Too little and we float freely, untethered, out of control. The problem is that we live in a society that constantly tells us and teaches us that having more is better. We will be better off if we have more things. You know, if I just had 30% more Yeah, we can buy all that new stuff because we'll just rent a storage place down the street. The financial gravity that helps us provide for our needs also pulls us way beyond the line of what we need and into the weeds of what we want. A new car, a better computer, the list of things we want never ends, does it? A bigger home, a wider TV, nicer clothes, newer golf clubs. As we add those things to our lives, we can feel the added force of financial gravity holding us down. What we wanted, what we desired, what we hoped would bring us freedom actually holds us back and wears us out. Remember the young man from our story? He was living a devout, faithful, pleasing to God life. He'd been keeping all the commandments, but the thing he asked Jesus was, what do I lack? He knew there was something out of balance, something that was holding him back. What am I missing? And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus always knows what you're missing before you ask. So he tells the man, you've got too much stuff. Sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Isn't that what he wanted in the first place? What must I do to live? What must I do to have eternal life? Uh, Do that, Jesus says, and then come follow me. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime offer from Jesus himself, a a roster spot as the 13th disciple. Come, hear Jesus preach every day. Be there when the miracles happen. Be on the ground floor as the church takes shape in the world. This young man could have learned to love people deeply. He could have written the fifth gospel. Give us another story about Jesus. Uh, Peter went to share Christ in in all of Israel. Paul went to Asia Minor and Europe. Maybe this young man could have gone to Africa and, and changed history. Instead, all we know about him is that he couldn't change his relationship with his stuff, with his money, with his possessions. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. The financial gravity prevented him from following Jesus. Hearing Jesus' terms, this young man went away. Why on earth would he walk away from Jesus? He was obviously serious about living a godly life. He knew that Jesus could lead him deeper into that, why would he walk away? Matthew tells us he went away grieving. He was sad to leave. It's like he was torn, right? Torn between two worlds, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. He wanted to do something new in life. He wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to learn how to give his life fully to God. And even with that in reach, He just couldn't let go of his stuff. I bet he thought to himself, you know, if I let go of the stuff I already have, then I might not have enough. 
And instead of being free to follow Jesus, the financial gravity of his possessions held him back, pulled him back into his old world. And we all have this choice between two worlds, but between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. And the kingdom of self is the world we create around us. It includes our family and our friends, our work and our hobbies, our homes and our possessions, our abilities and our interests, and none of that in itself is bad. We manage this world. It's a, it's a gift from God to, to be able to be responsible for this. It's our sphere of influence that God has allowed and made us to enjoy life and have influence in the world. And the problem is that we think that our world is the world. We think that our world is the world. And you know that this is happening when you hear yourself start starting to use the word deserve. Sean, I, I know it's expensive, but I work really hard. I deserve that thing. You know, Sean, you do such a good job. You deserve to enjoy a little more. And, and I protect the boundaries of this kingdom of self pretty fiercely. Because the financial gravity of money and possessions, whether we feel like we have enough or not, it always pulls us back toward this kingdom of self. Keeps us living this old life where we feel like we are the center. And this is why Christians need to be disciplined about doing good. This is why Christians need to be disciplined in giving and in growing in generosity. It's why we need to keep money and possessions in proper perspective. Because if we don't, they will begin to control us. And like the man in our story, they will prevent us from following Jesus to our fullest. Jesus said it's hard. It's hard to enter the kingdom of God when we feel financial gravity as strongly as the young man did. Jesus said it's hard for people to escape financial gravity and move into God's kingdom. He said it's hard, not impossible. In fact, the next thing he says is all things are possible for God. Financial gravity can hold you back from following Jesus, but it doesn't have to. This is why Jesus invites us to look beyond what we have or don't have, to look beyond what we are or are not, beyond our small understanding of stuff and enough, beyond the kingdom of self and into the kingdom of God, because with God all things are possible. Which means that the money and possessions that so often weigh us down and hold us back can also be part of what sets us free. So I'm going to invite you to do something very specific this week. It's, it's one of those put-it-into-practice kind of things. It's a clean-out challenge, and it's exactly what it sounds like. This week, clean out a drawer, a closet, a, a room, an area of your home, a garage, whatever it is, someplace, and see how it feels. Now, if I think about the closets in my house, some of that stuff is just junk, and I need to throw it away. And the reality is, if it lives in the closet, I probably don't need it. But see how this feels. Clean out some place, some area of your home, and the ease or difficulty that you have discarding things you no longer use will give you a sense of how strongly the financial gravity is, how strong you are feeling financial gravity in your life. I'm going to send out information this week about places you can give stuff away. We're going to do a, uh, an electronics and paper recycling thing here at the church in a couple of weeks. So, so as you clean out, set the items aside. We'll give you some clues, some tips about how you can, how you can make those um, things disappear from your home and maybe be a blessing to someone else. Uh, but more information about the, that next week, this week and next. But you can start small, right? This doesn't have to be a big thing, or it can be a big thing. You can clean out your whole house, Get rid of all your stuff. 
not let it hold you back. It, it can be big or it can be small, but let's not, any, let's not let anything, not our money, not our stuff, let's not let anything prevent us from following Jesus to our fullest, from following Jesus who promises to provide exceedingly, abundantly, far beyond all we could ask or imagine.